Uh, John chapter 14 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, Today is Communion Sunday. We have some special music uh, during the communion time. And I'll tell you, one of my, uh, you know, one of my personal prayers is, is that the Lord would do something new in our lives. I know a lot, you know, there's going to be a lot of struggles. This is all new for us. And anytime there's change, uh, it's a challenge for people. Everybody says the old was better. We like common ground. You know, we like the, the, the gym. We hated it at the time, but now that we're here, we like the gym. You know, there's things we, there's things we miss about the gym at the school. And there's things we miss about common ground. And there's things we will miss. And that's just part of life. Part of life is change. Nothing stays the same. And we can spend our lives complaining about what used to be or what should be or, or being upset or living in the past. But I pray that this congregation moves into the future because we didn't have a choice. Here we are. And nothing can change that. So I pray that during communion today, I think the Lord is going to give us an opportunity to deal with a lot of things this morning in, during communion. So I'm excited for our communion time just as we spend time with each other and with the Lord. So are you ready? Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we're here, Lord, not uh, for uh, somehow being recognized or uh, somehow making anything of ourselves, Lord. We come here dependent. Many have come here broken and needy. And Lord, we know that's the way to come. You are the one that, that said uh, that you've come to, um, to be a physician for the sick and not for the healthy. So Lord, we're sick, we're hurting, uh, we're honest about it. And we want you, Lord, we know that the church itself, the pastoral staff, that, that that's not the cure, the help, Lord, that, but that in all things you would be preeminent here, that all we can do is point people to you, Lord. So, Father, I pray that's the, that's the, the experience we have here of just being pointed to you through the music, being pointed to you during communion, being pointed to you during any special songs, being pointed to you during the sermon, that everything we do in our lives would be pointing to you because you are the way, the truth, and the life. So, Father, open your word to us this morning. Help us to understand uh, the things that you're saying to us, why they're important for us today, Lord. Things that, that can seem so unimportant on a daily basis, Lord. Why, actually, these are the most important things we could ever discuss. Lord, have your way in us. Teach us. Open our minds to, to see wondrous things in your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. All God's people said, amen. So we're working our way through the Gospel of John as we do through every book of the Bible. We are in John 14, having worked from chapter 1 all the way to this chapter, looking at things in their context, and, and as, the, as the, the plot unfolds, so to speak, we are seeing why certain things are said and why they're said the way that they're said. So the issue that that brings up these verses, these verses that we've come to know, you know, let not your heart be troubled in chapter 14, verse 1. You know, you believe in God, believe also in me. Uh, I go to prepare a place for you. What's the context of that? Why does that matter? And, and to me, it matters a whole lot on a daily basis. Just as I speak with people and think about life myself, I realize this isn't the place God's prepared for us. There, there's, this isn't our home. That our, our whole life is not about this place but a better place, a different place. And so we, we really, sometimes we try to put our tent stakes down pretty deeply here. 
You know, I think about uh, Lot and his wife, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed by God and, and Lot's wife looking back longingly like there was something in Sodom for her. There's nothing in Sodom for her. God calling her out of that. God calling them out. This is not our home. We're, we're, you know, we're passing through. And so Jesus telling them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And all of this being said, why? Because he's now getting closer to his crucifixion and his death, his burial, his resurrection. And then he, he ascends into heaven and, and he's telling them, look guys, I have to go away. I have to go away for, for a time. I'm coming back, but I have to go away. And this is causing them to be really brokenhearted. This is causing them a lot of distress because they've spent three and a half years, you know, walking with this guy and learning from him and listening to him and watching him. And they've become very close. I mean, imagine spending all day, every day, with this person whom you've come to just adore and love and who's cared for you. I mean, there, there's 5,000 people to feed and, and Jesus takes care of them. And so now he says, I have to go away. And to them, this seems like the worst thing possible. And he says, not only did he say, I have to go away, he says, you can't come right now. And we talked last week, a week about separation anxiety and how you try to tell that to a three-year-old when you drop them off at Sunday school class. And they just, they, you know, they blow a gasket, you know, in their little three-year-old mind. They can't comprehend that you're going somewhere. I can't come. And Peter thinks maybe this is because it's too dangerous. He says, look, Lord, I- I'll follow you anywhere. I'll lay down my life for you. There's nothing too dangerous for me, Lord. And Jesus says it's not about that. So all of what he's saying, chapter 14, their hearts are troubled. And many have said that chapter 14 of John is is a chapter for people with heart trouble. But we have troubled hearts, troubled about a lot of things. And so he's telling them why it's actually the thing that they thought was going to be the worst thing. Now listen up, because this is very applicable to us the thing that you thought would be the worst-case scenario actually may be a really good thing. That job change, that move, you think, oh, this is the wor- how can this happen? This is the worst-case scenario. Meanwhile, the Bible tells me that God's working all things together for good. For those that love Him and are called according to His purposes. And so the thing, there were, you know, God... God wants to give us the best, and we a lot of times hold on to the good. And that holding on so tightly to the good keeps us from seeing and being able to to embrace the best. And what Jesus is telling them is that there's something better than me staying. Now, that's that's hard for us to believe because we would say, wouldn't it be great if Jesus was here with us, like sitting in that seat right there, right in front of Kayla. He's right there. Oh, man, how would that change things around here if Jesus was sitting right there? If he was going to be, come, come to church every Sunday with us. He was going to hang out in the, in the office with us. And every time I had a counseling session, there, Jesus would be right there with me. We think that would be great. Jesus says there's something better, though. And that's why you shouldn't be troubled, because I'm going to tell you about something better. That's a long introduction to say, uh, we're ticked back up there. In, in, we finished verses 9 through 11. But I just want to go back a, a little bit and pick up in verse 11 because this is, well, actually, let me pick up in verse uh, 10. This is Philip talking about, Lord, show us the Father. Verse 10 says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. And Jesus never spoke on his own authority. He said only what God told him to say. It's just complete union with God, complete oneness. 
But the Father, look, who dwells in me does the works. What's the, what's the secret? I mean, this, is, this, this Trinity stuff is confusing, isn't it? This, the Spirit, the, the Father, Jesus, and one is in the other, and the other is in the other, and one is doing the work, but it's the other one doing the work, and there's this interchangeableness uh, in the Trinity that sometimes causes us to, you know, it fries our synapses in our brain because we don't understand that. But Jesus says, it's the Father who dwells in me, who does the work. Matter of fact, Jesus, uh, Paul says of Jesus that, it was, that God was in Christ on the cross reconciling the world to himself. It was God was in Christ doing that. Believe me, verse 11, that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works of themselves. So these works, these things that Jesus did, if you you don't believe what I'm saying, look at the things I've done. And even Nicodemus, back in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and and he says, look, we know you're a rabbi sent from God because no one can do the things you do unless God is with him. So there was just a recognition that the things Jesus was doing were, were, were not on the human plane. And I pray that this, this is, what we're going to learn here is this can be the experience of the church. There are things that the church engages in that people have to look on and go, that's not within the realm of human possible. That's not just because you guys are so smart and, got it, and, have, and pulled your resources and got it figured out. You know, we, we can accomplish a lot naturally, can't we? I mean, people are able to do a lot of neat stuff. But there's some stuff that you just sit back and you go, uh, that, there was a dynamic at work that wasn't just human. So he tells them this, and then verse 12 is where we pick up. And we're only going to do 12 to 18, so we're taking a real short section. I want to take a lot of time for communion. And look what Jesus says to them next. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. You see, this is what he's telling them. Look, it's good for me to go away because I'm going to go to, fa- to the Father. And you can read about this in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit, it, that's what we're talking about here. He's going to reveal that in a minute. But Jesus goes to the Father and he ascends into heaven. God gives him the promise of the Holy Spirit, which he pours out in the church. Pentecost, pouring out of the Spirit. But this is why he says, look, it's good for me to go because we think, well, if only Jesus was here, guess what? He is. And he's in every one of us in here who believes. So he's actually multiplied. This is why he can say, well, let's just work through this. He says, look, when I leave, the ministry doesn't end. There's still work to do. We're told to occupy until he comes. Be busy. He was always busy about the Father's business. And that's what we should be busy about. Busy about the Father's business. So as he's getting ready and preparing them for his departure, he says, I say to you, he who believes in me, so is this for everybody? Is this a promise for everybody? No. This this is what we're about to talk about. If you don't believe, if you don't put your, and believe is just another way you can say that is trust or confidence. If you don't put your confidence in in God, if you don't, or in Jesus, if you don't put your trust in Jesus, then this, none of this, what I'm about to say you know, will not make sense to you. It will not be your experience. You'll go, I don't know, I've never, I've never experienced that. Well, of course you haven't, because you don't believe. You know, Christianity is opposite. We say, well, I'll believe it when I see it. God says, no, if you don't believe it, you'll never see it. It works opposite. 
He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Now, Jesus did some pretty awesome works. Now, but I want you to remember, because we tend to go right to the miracle, you know. We, we, we go right to the, uh, now, you read the book of Acts where the Spirit of God is moving. People are being saved. I don't see anybody turning water into wine. Do you? But Jesus did that. So, you know, I'm think, we, we've got to think this through on more than just the, the, um, the one level that we might tend to go to. What was at the root of Jesus' miracles? You know, he loved Lazarus. He always wanted to uh, demonstrate the, the power of God working through him. There was, when he saw the 5,000, he had compassion on them. And he fed them. And so at the root of all, all these things, you know, because when he says, look, the works that, that I do, he will do also. The works that Jesus did were all things that would reveal God, reveal the power of God, reveal the sovereignty of God, re- reveal the love of God. All these things reveal God. Not only will he do what I do, but here's the difference. Even greater works than these he will do. Even greater works. Now, what can be greater than raising a guy after he's been dead four days? I mean, what, how are you going to top that one? It's like, a, you know, I see this and I raise you this, you know. How are you going to top that? And I don't think that it means greater in terms of the, the, um, the, uh, how fantastic it is. Because uh, this word greater can have a couple of different meanings. It, it also can mean uh, more in magnitude. And I think that's what we would say is probably what Jesus is discussing. Because he's going to the Father, and when he goes to the Father, he's going to pour out his Spirit on, on all flesh, on anybody who, uh, who believes. And now Christ is, is in us, the Father in us, enabling now this thing to, to, be, to blow worldwide. I mean, you think about, I, I brought this book, I, want to re- I don't often recommend books here, but I'm going to recommend, this one was really good uh, for me to read, How Christianity Changed the World. And, and the guy asked the question, and I think it's, a few books have been written on this topic, of what if Christ never lived? What if Jesus was never born? I mean, it's a, it's a hypothetical question, obviously. But you think about, what if the church never existed? And what we, you know, people now, we meet people in America, they say, well, I'm a good person. People don't realize that even if you're not a believer, Everything you think, so much of what you think has been already, um, in, 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 so much of Christian thinking has, is persuasive and pervasive in your thought, thinking. You don't even realize it. You don't realize, uh, this book, the chapters in this book talk about the effects of Christianity in education, in music, in hospitals, in the sanctity of life. You know, and we'll talk about this. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you orphans. There were, if you lived, if you were a child born in the Roman Empire, you know, the chances were you would die before you were 10. And you could be abandoned without any social or cultural ramifications. And so the sanctity of life, if you, if you were born deformed, they'd just kill you or abandon you, let you die because they didn't have the respect for life. But because we recognize that we, this truth that all men are created equal. All men are created by God. That we hold life uh, with sanctity. So we look at abortion differently. And all of these things because of Christ. We look at life. We look at mercy differently. You know, look, again, in the ancient world, man, if you were a Spartan, 
You know, you were either strong or you were nothing. No room for the weak, no room for the feeble. Those were things, those were bad characteristics. But we have this respect. Actually, we care for the weak. Where does that come from? You think it's just that you were born with this morality. That's come from Christianity. That's come from Christ. That's come from God himself. And you think you're a good person because you just woke up and decided to be good. What you don't realize is all of your thinking has been filtered through uh, godly thinking. And so I would highly recommend this book. Bach, it's music, art, everything. Bach said, if he told his students, you cannot be a successful musician unless your music is in worship to God. It's just, don't even try. Every major area of science, the reason major, major progressions have been made in the scientific community were because scientists like Isaac Newton believed that science mattered because the world made sense. And so they pursued discoveries. It's incredible. So it's called How Christianity Changed the World. Alvin J. Schmidt. I recommended it to some individual friends uh, of mine. But fantastic. We have no idea. So when Jesus says, and greater works, I mean, think about where, what would be the, the situation in our world if the character and the nature of, of Christ had not pervaded every, every corner. And think about places that, where there's no Christianity right now. Think about the way women are treated. Think about the way people are oppressed. The difference between a Christian nation and one that's not. And think about where America is going if we reject God. And think about what happens if the church departs from truth. So you guys know when Jesus says, I'm going to do, you, know, you guys will do greater works because I'm going to go to the Father. That's a magnitude. So Jesus was limited by his human body. He, he only ministered in a very small region, and his ministry lasted three and a half years. But now you magnify that by taking his spirit you know, this, and, and putting that in believers and spreading them out all over the world. And man, this thing really explodes, or at least has the potential to do, to do so. Why? Because he goes to the Father. Verse 13, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So some of you might be saying, well, I asked some stuff in his name. I said, I even said it at the end. I said, in Jesus' name. I mean, isn't it funny? Like, sometimes I feel guilty if I don't say, in Jesus' name. Like, we can pray anything and then say, in Jesus' name. You know, I, Lord, I really want a new Porsche. In Jesus' name. Lord, deal with my ex-wife. In Jesus' name, you know. We laugh about how you can almost say anything about a person and then say, in the South, it's like, bless his heart. You know, that guy is a real jerk, bless his heart. Yeah, and somehow it makes it okay. But when he says in Jesus' name, he says, when you ask in my name, this is not an incantation or a superstitious saying that somehow it's like the period at the end of the Christian prayer, you know. I pray this, this, I pray whatever I want, but then I tack on in Jesus' name, and then that makes it okay. You know, when, we, when you do something in someone's name, you do it sort of in their honor or according to what they would want done, or according to their will, according to their character. Like, I use the example, and I, I need to get new examples because my old ones get boring, but there's new people in the church, so, you know, you guys that have heard it. But, you know, my wife is allergic to beef, right? So, so if I want to honor her, you know, I, we don't have a big, you know, a, a big 
barbecue in her honor because she couldn't eat it because she's allergic to beef. So that wouldn't be something that would honor her. I don't, if she wants, I don't take her out to a big steak dinner. Honey, I want to honor you on your birthday. Let's go, let's go have some steak. Just because that's what I want, you know, doesn't mean that would honor her. So, and John, actually in 1 John, let me, let me just read you this, because this is the same author. John writes in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything, here's the clarity, according to his will. Because there's a lot of us that have asked stuff, and we've said in his name, and it even seems to be consistent with his character, and it's not happened. And we think, well, this verse can't be true. But here we, we know that if we ask something according to his will, we already have it. He wants to do everything that we ask according to his will. The problem is most of what we ask for is stuff and things and material. And I, I'm tired of superficial prayer meetings. I'm going to get on my soapbox for a minute if I had one. I'm tired of superficial prayer meetings. Because so much of what, when's the last time we had a prayer meeting and someone said, Lord, help me to forgive. Help me, Lord, I am so judgmental and I am so self-righteous, Lord, and I know I shouldn't be that way. Lord, help me with that. God says, I want to answer that prayer. Now, no, now I've been, we've prayed over people, you know, we pray over sick people and they get sicker. And I go, Lord, how can that be according to your will? You know, how does this happen? We've all done it. You've done it too, right? You pray for someone and you pray for their healing and they just get sicker. And I was praying with someone the other day, talking to someone, uh, and, and we talked about, I think it was his wife that had, had cancer. And I pray, Lord, I know you're, you're God of mercy. And I know you're a God who heals. And it's like, come on, Lord. What, look, think what this would do for their family. Think what this would do in this situation. And I remember we were praying just for her healing. And, I, and the Lord said, I'm answering that prayer. Because when a person, when a believer dies in this life, they get a new body. So, and I'll, now hear me out. I'm not saying this as a cop-out. What I'm saying is that God has a few ways to answer prayer. But see, we want God to answer the prayer in our way. And I don't look, I'm human. I got a four-pound brain, and I only use about a pound of it on a good day. Right? There's a lot I don't understand. And I don't pretend to understand all the ways that God's will works out in the world. His ways are higher than my ways. See, my ways are on the earthly level. I want what I think is good for me at this time. Or I want what only I can see might be good for this situation. But we have a Father in heaven who loves me and loves you more than I love you. And I love you guys. But God loves you way more than I do. And I trust him. I trust that he's Here's the things that get me by. You want to talk about things that get us by in this world? There's two things about God that get me by. There's a lot of things that get me by, but two truths about God. He is love. He is sovereign. Well, actually, three things, and he's powerful. He's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, and he's love. So whatever he does, I choose, it falls into those categories. So what's my job? To pray. And then I trust that Jesus is there interceding on my behalf, and the Spirit is interceding, with the Father, to say, well, Steve actually meant to pray this. Oh, okay. I'll do that. <laughs> See, 
He knows the will of God perfectly. The Spirit knows the will of God, so I pray, and the Spirit takes it and, and, and fixes it to bring it into accordance with the will of God, and then God does it, and he works all things together for good. Because sometimes my spirit just groans. I don't even know what to pray. You ever had a situation like that? Like, I don't even know what to pray. I mean, being a pastor is hard. Because I'm like with people, and I'm thinking, oh, I don't know what. How do, you, how, do you, how do you pray for this? It's hard. I hate to pray that, you know, sometimes we just pray those cop-out prayers, just the simple, you know, prayer. And it's like, I want to pray something that's deep. I want to pray something that's meaningful. Like, I don't want to pray just to be heard by this person or the people around me. I want to pray to be heard by God. But I got to know his will. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you just know, Lord, I know this is your will, and you pray. But the, so when he says, whatever you ask in my name, please, don't, sometimes I don't say that on purpose because I don't want to perpetuate a superstition in the church that just in your name is just something we say at the end of a prayer. You have to ask yourself what I'm praying for because James said in, in his letter, he said, you can pray wrong. When you pray and just asking to heap it on yourself. He says that you won't have an answer to that prayer. Or the answer is no. How many parents in here? You ever tell your kids no? How many of you know that no is an answer? Right? And how many of you, because you love your kids, you're not going to give them everything they ask for? I could give that to you, but it would hurt you. It would be bad. You shouldn't have that. And so... If God, if we're earthly parents and we know how to say no to our children when they ask for something that's not according to our will, then how much more does God, our Heavenly Father, know how to say no? But then sometimes God will do this. He'll let you have it. He'll let you shoot yourself in the foot with it too. You'll go, oh God, we really want that beach house, Lord. Oh Lord, if we could only have that beach house, I promise you I'll do this and that. And the other thing, I'll, I'll go to church every Sunday if just give me the beach house, Lord. And you get the beach house and the, the AC goes out and, the, you know, this washes out and the roof leaks. And it's, oh Lord, take this beach house away. We can't afford it. It's killing us, Lord. Oh. Whatever. So the ministry is going to continue. Jesus says, I'm going away. But because they would just ask, Jesus was right there. Jesus, can you do this for us? Jesus, can you feed these people? You know, Jesus, can you can you heal this guy? You know, we couldn't do it. Can you do it? And he was right there. He was a resource right there all the time. And now he's going away. How are we ever going to operate without him? And he says, ask anything in my name and I'll do it for you. But you're not going to be here. So figure that one out. They're still churning this around. That in that. And why? Here's the question. And why am I doing it? So that the Father may be glorified. Not so you can have a cool experience or just so that the Father may be glorified. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So ask and keep asking. God will tell you if the answer is no. He'll take, he's smart enough to know that. I mean, I remember sometimes the way, I don't think we are good at, at, um, long-suffering in prayer. I think we ask something once, and then we move on. God says, well, maybe you didn't really want it. I remember, Madeline, I don't remember this story. See, I didn't ask you about this one, so I won't owe you $10. I remember when, when Madeline was little, she went, was at the Christian bookstore and wanted this bunny rabbit. It was so cute. This bunny rabbit was so cute. She so wanted the bunny rabbit. And what father doesn't want to give his daughter a stuffed bunny rabbit, right? But I'm like, I wonder if she's just being impulsive or if she really wants this. So I said, well, I'll tell you what, if you still ask for it next week, then do you remember that story? Then you can have it. 
Well, a week came and went. She forgot about the bunny. She was on to a different thing. But the, the point of that being, I was like, well, maybe she didn't really want it. Maybe it was just an impulsive thing. And so the Bible tells us, ask and keep asking. Knock and keep knocking. So I don't know the answers to all this stuff. Prayer is one of the most confusing things to me. So here's what I, I boil it down to keep it simple. God tells me to do it, so I do it. I do it with my whole heart. And I leave the results to him. When I see a person hurting, I pray for them not to hurt. Even though sometimes God wants to let them hurt for a little bit. Not because he hates them, because he loves them. Verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Man, this is... Uh, so Jesus says, I'm going away. So what do we do while you're away, Lord? And, and all this in the context of he's saying, look, whatever you ask in my name, that's what I'm going to do for you. And if you love me, keep my commandments. Lord, how can we do that? And his commandment, we're not talking ten commandments. Jesus had a lot of commandments, a lot of things he told them to do. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, love one another as I have loved you. He said, bless those who persecute you. He said, love your enemies. He said, don't do what you do to be seen. Oh, Lord, but I do what I do to be seen. Lord, help me not to do that. I mean, I'm not saying the other prayers are wrong. But so the, in the context of this, while I'm not with you, if you love me, oh, Lord, we love you so much, we can't stand to see you go. Hey, if you love me, then while I'm gone, keep doing the things I said. Keep doing the Lord. That's going to be hard. How can we do that? I'll pray the Father, and he'll give you another helper. Or some Bibles might translate that comforter. Have you seen it like that? So first of all, the word another is a very important word because there can be another Another can just be another. There can be a, another kind, you know. It's just, I have one, I have one child, and then I have another child. And they're completely different. I have one and another. And some of you have another and another and another, and they're all different. Just when you thought you've had all the difference that can be, there's more different ones. The Lord makes a lot of different things. But there can also be another of the same kind. You know, sometimes when you get yourself a nice little treat like you know you find some a cookie that you love like i love this kind of cookie it's like oh i gotta have another man one was just not enough but i don't want another of it there's some cookies i don't like and i don't want another of any kind of cookie that cookie won't suffice because it's different don't try to rip me off by giving me a different cookie i want that one i want the same kind and that's what this word is i'll give you another implying another of the exact same kind so Jesus was a helper. He was one that was an aid to them. And then the Spirit is another of the same kind of helper. So what does that word helper mean? The, the Greek word literally means one who is called in to help or to give aid. Could be, if any of you have ever uh, been in the legal system, you needed a lawyer, someone to come and represent you, someone to come and argue on your behalf to to plead your case in front of the judge, that would be uh, a paracletos, someone who was called in to help. You know, now, now, 
uh, 17-year-old boys are, qualify as helpers. Son, I can't get this. Can you help me carry this in? Or, you know, I, need, I need help. But people are afraid to ask for help. We're all so busy trying to do it ourselves. Look, the Christian life, you cannot listen carefully. You can come in these doors and you can hear these teachings and you can agree with them 100% and you can come to counseling because you need a better marriage or you feel you're a lousy parent or your family's falling apart. And we can sit and we can look at these truths and you can go out here and go, yeah, I'm going to go home and do it. And it'll last a week. And you'll go right back to what you used to do because you need help. You cannot live the Christian life in your own power, nor were you meant to. And Jesus knew that. He said, I will give you another, just the same type as me, another helper, someone that you can call in, that's called in to give aid to you, to give help to you in your time of need. And he's going to stay with you forever. And it doesn't say, I'll give you another helper, the pastor. Lord, help us. Lord, help me. What you don't realize is if, you're, if, you, if you are saved, if you are born again, God has given you his spirit to dwell not just with you, but in you. That's a miracle. That's a mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. How does that work? I don't know. I will pray the Father. He will give you another helper or comforter or aid, one that's called in to help that he may abide with you forever. Who is this helper, Lord? Who's, who's the one that you're going to call in to help us? The spirit of what? Truth. The spirit of the, the, biggest, thing, the biggest help in your life. I mean, miracles are great. And I love when they happen, especially when we pray for them. And you see, oh, wow, that was amazing. It, we prayed for that. It happened. Amazing. But the greatest need of us as humans is not necessarily more miracles. The greatest miracle is, you know, we're going to share communion and we're going to be, you know, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you, and we're going to be taking these things into ourselves. The miracle is not whether or not Christ is present in the elements and all the, the funky doctrine that we can get into around communion. The miracle is that Christ is in me. Christ is in me. And I remember that as I take the bread and I take the cup and I'm taking these things into myself and they nourish me. Christ is in me. The greatest need you have is to know the truth. Because our world is filled with lies. And, and now computers and computer-generated stuff, it's hard to separate out what's truth and lies. And now there's this Oculus thing that's being developed, this 3D. You put these things on your eyes, and you're in this 3D computer-generated world. And it's going to get more confusing. People pay billions of dollars for this stuff to entertain you by creating for you a false reality. And then it only, but see, but even in the false reality, it's got humans involved, so it won't take long for the false reality to devolve into the same junk as the real reality because human beings are involved. And human beings lie, and we know Satan is the father of lies. I needed to know, the biggest thing I needed in my life was to know the truth about myself. The truth about myself, the world told me you're successful. You're, 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 you're living the dream. All those things. But the Spirit of God spoke to my life the day I was saved. And the truth about me was that I was empty and walking away from God and going to hell. 
That was the truth. And the Spirit of God pricked my heart about that, and I knew it was true. But people don't want the truth. Lies can be so convenient, right? If they, as long as they give to me what I'm looking for, what I want to satisfy. The Spirit of truth. Jesus said, my word is truth. Or, or excuse me, of God says, thy word is truth. Uh, Jesus came to testify of the truth. But here's the problem, and then we're gonna, we'll, we'll share communion in just a moment here. The world cannot receive it because it doesn't see him and doesn't know him. The world can't receive the truth. Why? Because the world has knowingly exchanged the truth. Paul tells us in Romans 1, exchanged the truth for the lie. The world isn't interested in the truth. And, and now people say, well, there is, how do you know what truth is? There's no truth. It's all, truth is all relative. It's not absolute. Are you absolutely sure about that? Can you be absolutely sure that absolute truth isn't absolute? Well, isn't that kind of absolute? Hmm, think about that one on the way home. The Spirit of God tells me the truth. He convicts the world of sin and of righteousness. There's right, and there's wrong, and there's right, and there's judgment to come. And we'll, we'll go through that as we keep on going through John. And the Spirit of God convicting people. The Spirit of God bringing to remembrance the words of Jesus. We'll go all through this, the role that the Spirit of, of God has in our lives. But the world doesn't recognize that. You know, I guess, oh, the Spirit of God is doing this, and the world goes, what are you talking about, the Spirit of God? What are you, crazy? You know, what are you into? What, what's, what's got you going crazy? Spirit of God, what are you talking about? Can't recognize. Doesn't see the word. We say, oh, look what God is doing. They say, well, you did that. The Spirit of God working through me, working in me. I'm going to invite Joyce uh, to come on up here. Joyce, where's your, and your group that's singing? If you guys would come up. We're going to prepare for communion. But as they come up, I want to hold your attention for just one more uh, moment here. Because um, this last part is so very important. But you know him, he says to his disciples, because he dwells with you. And he will be in you. He will be in you. That's, that's radical. That's new. I mean, that's in the Old Testament, Spirit of God working through Samson, working through Saul. You know, the Spirit of God present in the Old Testament but not in that ongoing, indwelling sense that we read about here. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Now, again, I know it's, you guys can come on up. Come on, all of you guys, come on up. But again, I pray that you just give me your attention for one more moment here. When he says, I won't leave you orphans, they knew exactly what that meant. In the Roman world, a third of all children in ancient Rome died by 10 years of age. The average life expectancy uh, for men and, um, would have been as low as 22 and for women, 20. We would think life would be more precious, but instead people were considered expendable. Infanticide was universal in ancient Greece and Rome. Babies would often be rejected if they were illegitimate, unhealthy, or deformed, uh, or the wrong sex, or too great a burden on the family. Female infants were particularly vulnerable. In Roman society, an infant could be abandoned without penalty uh, or societal stigma for many reasons, including an anomalous appearance, being an illegitimate child, a grandchild, a child of infidelity, family poverty, parental conflict, 
or being one of too many children. They were abandoned to the elements, and death resulted from hypoglycemia, hypothermia. Abandonment generally occurred in a public place, and the hope was that maybe someone would pick up the baby, but many of them were uh, picked up by slavers, sold to slavery, used as prostitutes, or sold for begging purposes after being mutilated. So when Jesus tells them, I'm not going to leave you orphans, an orphan is a vulnerable um, human being. They were so dependent on Christ. They were so dependent on him. And their fear was, what are we going to do if you're not here? Because look, and a lot of you fear being alone. Fear, how am I going to get by? Fear being abandoned. And God is saying to you, I will not leave you an orphan. I will come to you. And this morning, he's coming to them in a number of ways. After he's resurrected, coming to them uh, in in the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, coming to them at the second coming as well. So we're gonna, these guys are going to minister to us during the communion time. If we could have the, the lights turned down. And I want to offer, as they sing, uh, and then at, at about uh, 20 minutes uh, after 11, we'll pass out the elements. But as they sing and minister, uh, I want to invite, you know, this is for, for the first time we've been able to invite people down to the cross. It's the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. And so he'll lead you into truth. And he'll help you understand the truth about yourself, the truth about God, the truth about the world, the truth about eternity. Because he loves you. And so, if you're struggling with the change, the new building, you're struggling with it for whatever reason, then come down. We're not here. It's not about us. It's about Christ. You've got to deal with him. I'm just along for the ride, just like you guys, you know. Just hoping that some days my flesh is not quite as strong as my spirit. If you're just someone that says, I just need help. I just need help. Then come down. Come to the cross. Come to the Lord. He said, I can give you the spirit to help you. You can call on God for help. If you're longing for truth, the truth about marriage, the truth about family, the truth about work, the truth about life, death, eternity, the truth about what really is important in the world, then come down and kneel. I'll I'll be up here to pray if anybody needs prayer, and uh, some other folks maybe will come up and, and we'll pray as well.